This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Illinois 15th District Representative John Shimkus. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition, growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way. Congressman John Shimkus joins us next here on AgriPulse Open Mic. Innovation, efficiency, and productivity. For America's family farmers, this is a reality born of commitment and necessity. Today, farmers can plant up to 43% of the nation's corn crop, an area bigger than New York State, in a single day, thanks to advances in machinery, management, and technology. Growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way is a great American success story. To learn more, go to www.cornfarmerscoalition.org. Innovation is growing in the cornfields of America. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Our guest this week is Congressman John Shimkus. The Illinois Republican is an active member of the House Committee on Energy and Commerce and is well pleased with the bipartisan progress in the first six months of the year. Shimkus opposes EPA overreach and says the agency's new Waters of the U.S. rule would have a detrimental effect on agriculture in his 15th district. I represent 33 counties of 102 uh, great fertile fields, but uh, Illinois also is a, a very big river state where the inland waterway system, whether it's the Mississippi, Illinois, Ohio, or Wabash, all these rivers are fed in to by tributaries, and as you go further inland, the smaller they get to the point where they're just uh, ditches and, and intermittent streams and the like. The, the Waters of the U.S. ruling is a flawed rule saying that ditches are navigable waterways and should be regulated by the EPA. Uh, farm ponds, uh, uh, county road uh, side areas, it, it has my producers up in arms and that's why we're going to continue to make every effort to, as, as you said, trim the wings of the EPA. The EPA has a lot of jobs to do, and, and some of them are very important. I deal with them a lot. We question why do they dabble in other areas which are very controversial or costly when they can't get some of the most critical stuff done on to- toxic waste dumps and Superfund sites and, and the like. Your state has a very powerful coal industry, and you have seen challenges from the EPA in their war on coal. How have they affected you, and how do you see this Congress taking action, or do you see this Congress taking action that ultimately would pull back on their reign? Well, we continue through the appropriation process, the past, again, riders that try to trim the wings of the EPA as far as there are multiple different types of rules and regs. I just had a hearing about a month ago, and I listed all the simultaneous rules going on 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 with respect to coal or generators, electricity that use coal, whether it's a mercury rule, whether it's the greenhouse gas rule, it could be ozone rule, and the ozone rule is at 7.5 parts per million, and EPA hasn't even finished the rollout of, of 7.5 parts per million, but now they're trying to say, well, we want to even ratchet it down further to 6.5 or 6.0. They don't know, and so that uncertainty uh, continues to cause uh, additional cost and higher cost of closing down of facilities, less baseload supply, 
uh, it, it's just a tremendous challenge. Unfortunately for us, the only coal basin is high BTU coal. Uh, we are shipping coal um, overseas. Uh, we are stressed, but there are other areas that are uh, coal mining is almost almost done in uh, a great coal state like West Virginia, and the war on coal is is real. And uh, this administration is. I, I think that's going to be one of his legacies. Uh, it's, he's following his promise of of destroying coal production in the country. Do you think there is a majority that would support the override of the president's action, and is it veto-proof? No. Our hopes would be that you get stuff to his desk, but as far as coal, the answer is no. It just doesn't have the veto-proof support in the Senate with the environmental left, with you know, Democrats who are really mostly beholden to the environmental community. Yeah, I think we can get some stuff passed through the Senate, but I don't think there'd be a veto-proof majority. The president has now trade promotion authority. That was a difficult uh, battle in the House of Representatives. It took some time. As that is in place, how do you see the Congress attitude toward what would be a Trans-Pacific Partnership coming for a vote at some time? Well, I think that the public has been very confused on this debate that TPA was TPP. And and now I think since we've given the president the, the same authority that uh, we've given every president for the last 40 years uh, in his role as, as uh, head of state to be able to sit down with countries and negotiate treaties and, and trade uh, deals, that now... He, they will pick up and hopefully finalize TPP. I think a lot of that work has been done, uh, but there's still more to do. But before the break, there was always rumors about the opposition getting prepared to gin up now a vote in opposition to the final Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal, which is kind of bizarre because... You know, if you think about it, they they said that, well, it's top secret. No one knows what it is. So if they don't know what it is, how do they know they don't like it? What are the things that you feel will be important, the positives that could come from a TPP deal and some of the negatives that could be a deal breaker, even for your own vote? Well, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a free trader. So I, for my corn and, and soybean guys, they need more markets. My pork producers and beef uh, producers would want a higher demand for their product. If you understand trade, what these negotiations are attempting to do, I, it, I, it's the, the vision I have is you have a door in front of you and the, and the, and the trade promotion authority is like the, the crowbar that, that cracks that door open so you get, you can get entry to a market. The actual agreement, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, is how you keep the door open. It's it's just where are the rules in place for uh, people who are playing by the rules and people who are not playing by the rules. Even for some big manufacturers like Caterpillar in the state of Illinois or Boeing with corporate headquarters in Chicago, big manufacturers who want to sell large equipment, a Trans-Pacific Partnership deal, and maybe in the future... The Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, which is a, would be a trade deal with our European allies, it, it's all good. The the only negative there is some 
manufacturers or maybe some other agricultural products that might be disenfranchised because they just can't produce a quality or a good as efficiently as some other place. And so that's why we deal with the TAA bill because that's, and I've been through it and I've used it before, to help dislocated workers retrain for other jobs should international trade cost them particularly their job. Whether it is the Trans-Pacific Partnership or the appropriation process, how much time does this Congress have to work before the pressure of the 16 election begins to take over in gamesmanship? Some people think that starts hitting the fall of this year. I think it's a 16 concern. I think most of us know that we have to get you know, our legislative agenda and as much as we can to the president's desk and get this year over with. Uh, then I think 16 will be a, a more challenging year because then even members and senators will be looking over their shoulders at their the upcoming uh, November race, uh, and that may make things a little more difficult. The Environmental Protection Agency has been slow in coming, but they have a proposed rule with regard to volumes under the Renewable Fuel Standard, and their proposal that's on the table now is shy of what the Congress approved uh, in the energy law. What are your thoughts on this process? Well, there's, again, in this interior appropriation bill that's put on hold that we're going to pick up, uh, current press uh, have been writing about an amendment being proposed by a colleague from Georgia on the RFS that, you know, I'm kind of surprised somebody, even the petroleum refiners, aren't supportive of So the petroleum refiners think the law is too much and the ethanol folks think it's not enough. The reality is production is somewhere in between, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. I um, think what the EPA has tried to do is keep, you know, a role for ethanol and the promise of possible future growth, but we're we're just in difficult times. So I, I think on the House side, I think it's going to be very quiet. I don't think you're going to see anybody move any major legislation one way or another. And we're kind of at a, uh, even though the two sides have a verbal war going, I think it's kind of like a little armistice where uh, I don't think you're going to see major punches thrown. On one side, there are those who are supportive of renewable fuel saying the law says this, therefore the volume output should be at that level. And then an individual from the EPA said just because the Congress set a target doesn't mean that you can set back and be irresponsible and just assume that that's going to take place. I wish that we could do a better job in getting the retailers to get involved in creating flexible pumps, and then the, the ethanol people start really producing and showing the savings based upon market. Give an example. I, there was a, a road ranger north of Springfield, Illinois, and my staff drove by it about a month ago, and they sent me a picture, and E85 was 70 cents less a gallon than regular unleaded. Now, that's what we need. What we need is to show savings to the, the consumer then they will demand the retailers start providing that. But we we just have, uh, we have some, I think we have some middlemen, you know, taking that, that Delta 
and not passing that on to consumer, I think is short-sighted because uh, the future would be uh, an, an education through price of consumers, how they can save and how ethanol, as we believe, is good for the country, it's good for the environment, it's good for energy security. Congressman, there is a piece of legislation that was brought uh, forth by Mr. Pompeo and Mr. Butterfield with regard to a national standard for the labeling of foods that might have an ingredient that came from a genetically enhanced crop. Uh, Vermont has a set of laws that go into effect next year. Other states are considering those. How should the Congress act? Well, the, the Congress has a role, especially the Energy and Commerce Committee. Both those uh, members are, are, are friends of mine, and they're... Uh, they're bipartisan, uh, Butterfield to Democrat, Pompeo's a Republican. Uh, uh, that's a very good sign. Uh, Energy and Commerce uh, Committee is one of the oldest committees in, in the House of Representatives, and it was uh, organized primarily b- because of the role uh, foreseen by our founding fathers that the national government should be involved in ensuring that there's no restriction on interstate trade from one state to another. So uh, these uh, states that are taking um, action to force the specific labeling because of their definition of a genetically modified uh, uh, product or some restriction is the, the, the role of the national government to say you can't restrict trade and commerce. So what Butterfield and Pompeo are trying to do is say, we're going to step in. We're going to make sure that everybody understands the rules of the road. And once we start complying with that, we're not going to allow states to inhibit the free flow. The interesting thing about this debate is science is all on the side that uh, a GMO ear of corn is a ear of corn. <laughs> it's not something other than the product. Uh, the tomato's a tomato. The the, the beat is the beat. So science is on our side in this. And if, you know, if people want to market non-GMO, if they want to use that as a marketing principle to, to get a niche market, fine. Uh, let them do that. Uh, what we tried to do in the last hearings, weave the story and, and what Mike and, and Congressman Butterfield tried to do is say, this stuff's safe. This is going to wreak havoc on labeling. Uh, across the country, and it's more difficult to do than those people who are trying to push this will admit. Congressman Chimkus, we want to thank you for spending time with us on Open Mic, and it is our tradition as we wrap up each conversation. There is an open microphone, and sir, it's yours. Well, thanks. Just, uh, as we started this, I think I think it's kind of been a, a very interesting year uh, uh, here in Washington where there are times we've worked together, uh, we talked already about trade, and that was really Republican-led legislative agenda with the Democrat president. We did a thing called the Doctor Fix, where we touched entitlement uh, uh, re- uh, entitlement reform for the first time, and, and ensured that our doctors would see Medicare patients. Um, we, uh, you know, we we're working on a bill. I'm working on a bill on toxic substances that. Uh, is a very one that hasn't been reformed in 40 years, uh, and it got off the floor uh, two weeks ago with only one opposition uh, vote, with positive aspects in the Senate. So there are times, and, and Congress is well known for its fighting. Uh, 
but uh, I think people have to understand that sometimes we can work together. And and I, the fun thing is, I think legislators, we're here to legislate, and we we're here to work together and and move this country forward. And we're getting an opportunity to do that. I think part of that's thanks to uh, Mitch McConnell and and helping the Senate function again and allowing senators on both sides to offer amendments in in an attempt to move bills. So I don't know how long it lasts, but it's kind of enjoyable what's occurring right now. Our thanks to this week's guest, Illinois 50th District Representative John Shemkus. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition, growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way. To learn more, visit www.cornfarmerscoalition.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.